PayPal community. Holy week. I mean, it's Holy Week. Uh, you might be listening to this podcast while you're frantically finishing up that last-minute video edit or putting the finishing touches on that set build or looking for a replacement volunteer, maybe, for your Easter services. This is the week. It's happening. These are the services that give our craft purpose. I mean, we're technical artists in the local church because of the good news that happens because of this week. And what you're doing is making it possible for the good news to be heard by many new people this Easter season. So keep it up. I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, but I've been reading through the Bible in a year, basically for the first time ever. And some of the readings from Leviticus and Numbers in the Old Testament have been, I mean, not easy reading. I mean, that's some tough, tough stuff. And I keep thinking, I don't care about how many men there are between the ages of 30 and 50 from the tribe of Levi. It doesn't matter to me. But there it is in the Bible. So because I'm trying to read through it in a year, I'm slogging through it. And this morning I was reading about all the different clans from the tribe of Levi, which I didn't even know there were such things. And uh, these tribes were responsible for certain aspects of the setup and teardown of the tabernacle. You know, this group is responsible for the lampstand, and this group took all the uprights and bases for the tent walls, and this group's responsible for packing up the Ark of the Covenant. And all this reminded me very much about what we do, and as like much of Leviticus, the instructions for getting all this set up and torn down, you know, is very detailed, pretty much like a checklist that we might create to help our volunteers succeed on a weekend. And, you know, this is like the original OG portable church back in the Old Testament. And you know what? The Levites existed to create an exact experience, just like you and I. And what you do is necessary and requires great care and exactness. And this was the week you were designed for. Lean into it. Remember why you're doing it. Don't fall into the trap of just going through the motions. I know this can be tiring this week and we just got to get the to-do list done. But yeah, don't just go through the motions. Each task you're doing that helps create an environment for people to meet with God is a holy endeavor. And so just remember that. If you're new to our podcast, I'm not normally talking about the Old Testament, but our goal is to help you become more effective as a technical artist so that your church can become more effective. And we do that through this podcast, through the Philo Conference, through our digital resources, our book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas, as well as Philo Coaching and Philo Staffing. And on the podcast today, speaking of Philo Staffing, we're joined by Caleb Lepke, who sort of leads our Philo Staffing division, and Stan Endicott, who is the co-founder of the Slingshot Group. And Philo Staffing and Slingshot Group have a partnership to help connect churches to qualified tech people and qualified tech people to churches who are looking. And we sat down really to talk about the tension of the phrase, should I stay or should I go? I mean, there are always times in life as a technical artist when I know for me, it's been the case when I wonder, does it have to be this difficult or, you know, things look a lot easier and more fun other places. And so we kind of open that up and talk about all those things. And yeah, it was a really great conversation. So let's just dive right into it. We're here with a couple good friends of the Philo community. One who's on our core team, Caleb Lepke. Caleb, how's it going? It's good. Glad to be here today. Yeah, good to have you. And then we got 
somebody new to the podcast, but not new to Philo. We got Stan Endicott with us. Hey, Stan. Good morning, you guys. Good to yeah. see you. Yeah, good to be with you. Awesome. We've heard from you recently, Kayla, but let's uh, maybe talk for a second about how we met, which is actually, uh, yeah, interesting now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. What, so, what do you remember? Uh, I Okay, so I, I met you for the first time at the first Philo conference. So <laughs> my wife and I were on staff at a church uh, as a technical director down in St. Louis suburbs. And uh, we were pregnant with our first kid and we said, hey, it's time to time to come on home. And so we were getting ready to move back up to Chicagoland. I landed a job at a church called the Chapel up in uh, up in the Northwest Burbs. And uh, when I came on staff, it was literally within like two weeks uh, was the first ever Philo conference. And you had been kind of working with our team at the chapel to kind of help us uh, figure out how to do life and technology a little bit better. And so I walked in to Christ Community Church down in St. Charles, which the funny part about that is where I'm on staff now. (laughs) And uh, so I sat in the same seat the other night when we were recording our Easter stuff. And I looked around, I thought, this is weird. This is the first place I met Todd. Now I work here. I'm, you know, overseeing this production team and department. And now I'm sitting on a call with, with, uh, with all of you guys and looking at that. So that's what I remember. And I just remember like being in awe, looking, looking around at the first file <laughs> conference scene. I don't mean, I don't even know how many people there was, but I felt like it was a lot. Yeah. There were um, uh, two fifty you know? something like that. Yeah. That was, uh, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think about that. We've known each other that long. It doesn't seem like that long, but it also like the, when I think about the first Philo, that feels like another century in a way. Yep. Yeah. A way. lot of life has happened since then. And yeah, you got more it's, kids it's now too. Good. It's, I have a lot more kids. I have billions <laughs> yeah. of kids. They just You're kept, fra- they crazy just kept with kids. like showing up at my house and I don't know how it <laughs> happened, but now I have three kids. I got a six year old named Nora just turned six on Saturday. And my, uh, my middle kid is, uh, is going to be turning four this summer. And then my youngest, he's like 18, 19 months, and he's the terror of the house. He's the Tasmanian devil. It just was <laughs> yeah. like. I, well, I, when I watch Insta stories of your of your smallest child, I, I'm so glad I don't have small kids anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's, exactly. he's, uh, yeah. he seems so like a lot me. of fun. Cool. So Stan, I was trying to think about when we, when you and I first met, and it probably had to be wrapped around uh, Willow Creek somehow. Yeah, I was thinking about I don't I don't know what year, twenty ten maybe time, or in the eighteen hundreds sometime. <laughs> yeah. I the first time I ever went to Willow was in nineteen eighty six. Oh wow! And the reason I was there, I was working for Maranatha Music at the time, and we had heard this song called "He Is Able" that Rory Noland and Greg Ferguson wrote, and right, we wanted to go. Song capture that song and be the their life-saving publisher and uh, right. <laughs> we we did we did publish the song but I don't know about the other part but uh, <laughs> but anyway I've been to Willow many times in my life but I remember Todd one time I was sitting Anywhere I go, I always sit in the back of the room in case I get bored or need or just want to leave. Right, right. <laughs> and, and so um, I was sitting in the back, and you were coming in and out of the uh, tech room. It was during a conference, and there's several thousand people there. But 
you seem to be in a hurry, but you stopped long enough to to greet me, which I would I, I appreciate oh, wow. it. But I always knew I always knew that you cared a whole lot about the people on your mm-hmm. team, and that was a big team. So those are great memories of that. But I think it was one of those early uh, artist retreat things. Sure, <laughs> right, right. One of my earlier memories of you used to come to Willow Creek and sort of lead Christmas carol sing-along. Oh, yeah. For, on a weekend service. And so you'd bring in all these, I mean, you had this piano player that was ridiculous. Yeah, um, I guys, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, some other musicians, and we'd do this whole thing, and you would lead this sing-along. And I don't know if we ever told you this, but maybe you've heard this, but we, we used to call you Stana Claus. Stana Claus? Yeah, uh-huh. That's awesome. I've been called, I've been called worse. So <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh, Christmas is coming. It's time for Santa Claus. That's funny. <laughs> that's, oh, that's great. No, yeah. those were those were fun times. The piano player that you're talking about is named Chris Barron. And, oh, right, uh, right, right. And uh, I knew that as soon as I brought him, they're going to try to hire him. <laughs> and, and I'm, so I'm guessing they probably said, tried. Yeah. I said, you know, Chris lives in Southern California. And he raises chickens in his backyard in California. So, uh, and he's kind of Amish, but if you want to hire him, go for it. Okay. You know? <laughs> but, uh, oh my gosh. Those were, those were fun, fun times. And, and, uh, I, th- I think I did it three or four years, three or four years, something like that. Yeah. It was so nice to kind of get the Christmas songs out of the way. Like we got this one weekend, we're going to hit, we're going to sing all your favorites and now we don't have to, you know, let right. the Christmas service uh, sort of carry right. the weight of everybody's yeah. expectations. So yeah. thanks for doing the, that. The thing That's I learned so about those experiences musically was the one song you just don't want to mess with is Silent Night. Silent you know, Night, yeah. Just, just leave it alone and let it, <laughs> you know, let people hold up candles and just turn the lights off and call it a day right right everybody's trying to be cool about silent night that may not be a good effort (laughs) yeah wasted that's like pearls before swine right there exactly (laughs) nice so uh since we got three of us on we're, we're gonna get around to this but thinking about why do we have the two of you on the podcast together um and so we'll get to that but maybe how did you guys meet so my my first remembrance of Stan <laughs> was in probably 2007. And Stan, you didn't wow. know me. And I think, and, and my first, but this is the first time I met you uh, at the National Worship Leaders Conference in Kansas City. And I was volunteering with my church and I ended up being in the choir when the Gettys wow. and Tommy Walker were there leading worship. And I remember looking down and I, I, I remember I was pretty far back in the choir up on one of the risers and looking down at Stan in this big rehearsal room. And I'm going, this guy is hilarious. Like, who is this guy? And how is he directing the choir? This is awesome. And, um, and I did that for probably two years. And I remember bumping into you. It was probably one of the first years at Philo. And then I bumped into you and I said, Stan, you don't know me, but I know you. And let me, let me tell you this. And so, and literally last night at rehearsal at church, I was telling a couple of worship leaders about somebody brought up the Gettys. And I said, I got a funny story about the Gettys and how, yeah, we sang in the choir and Tommy Walker and got his big old gunslinger guitar strap on. Somebody helped him put it on with the Britney Spears mic. I mean, it was, it was awesome. It was just, it was so great. Sure. 
So that's that's my first time remembering you. Well, I, we've had conversations through Slingshot, and you know those have been fun. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, our worlds coll- have collided for years. We didn't even know it, so that's cool. That's so funny, right? Yeah. Pretty cool. One of the reasons that we're together uh, here is to talk a little bit about Philo Staffing, and we have a partnership with you at Slingshot, and we're working together to help staff the church with people that are effective at what they do to help their churches become more effective and connecting people to churches and churches to people. Uh, But one of the things that uh, I would love for us to talk about is that just in my conversations with you, Stan, and even uh, you, Caleb, and even conversations I've had, I have a lot of conversations with people doing tech ministry that are just like, what do I do? Uh, I Like I'm burning out, but I don't want to let anyone down. Um, I, I feel like this job feels impossible, but I don't know what else to do. I don't feel like I need, I can leave because who's going to do it if I if I walk away, there's all kinds of questions around just people doing tech ministry in church, which is, we, we know is one of the harder ones to do. And this feeling of like, should I stay or should I go? And so I would just love to kind of open up the conversation to say, Caleb, you were kind of, we were talking earlier about uh, you being in a situation like that recently and kind of a conversation yeah. you had with Stan. So I, you know, I mentioned when I first was kind of introducing myself, I was on staff at the chapel for about six years. And very recently, as of November of 2020, transitioned off of my role there and transitioned to Christ Community Church down in St. Charles, just a little bit farther south from where I was at. And honestly, I you know, I had been doing this with Stan and Philo and kind of helping churches find people because my heart was like, man, I didn't want to see people jumping away from the local church when I felt like God had maybe give them those, gave them those gifts to use. But then in the same time, I was questioning that in myself and whether or not I should stay in local ministry and, the, and actually working in the local church because it was, it's really hard. And so I, you know, Stan, I, I called you and I think you gave me a ring and said, Hey, I'm going to be in town visiting, you know, my daughter and, we should get breakfast. And I said, I'm, I'm in, where do you want to go? And, uh, so you and I went out and met halfway from where I was living and where you were at. And, uh, we got some breakfast and started talking. And, you know, I remember that scenario and kind of dumping my life of just going church is hard. Ministry is hard. How do I do this? How do I figure out what I want to do and how God's leading me and I remember you stand, you grabbed a couple of napkins and I think you asked the waitress to, has, can I borrow your pen? You know, and, and yeah. so you, you took her pen. <laughs> Never have a and pen. And you grabbed I'm, all the napkins. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you grabbed all the napkins on the table and you started writing. And I still have this napkin in, in my truck right now. And I have a picture of it saved on my favorites in my phone. And I look at it often. And I literally just read these questions that you wrote down for me to one of the guys who works for me at Christ community yesterday. I'd be curious uh, just real quick before you tell us what the questions are. Do you know uh, what the five questions are Stan without uh, Caleb telling you? No, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, that didn't, that didn't go as good as I thought it was. I thought it was going to be amazing. The The first one is it, it, it probably has something to do. 
hopefully it has something to do with your wife or your kids. That's a good place to start. So, but other than that, I don't remember. Yeah, okay. Why don't you tell us, uh, okay. Caleb? <laughs> well, this, this is going to be fun then. So the first thing you wrote was, and, and the, this is the context of me personally in my life, trying to figure out what in the world God was calling me to do and what, you know, what I was placed on the surf to, you know, do here and through Philo and through whatever other avenue that I can. So the first question was, what do you want? Second question is, what do you actually know how to do? Third question is, do people actually get paid to do it? Fourth question is, where do I find them? And the last one is, who do I want to do it with? And those things stuck with me so much since that July breakfast with me. And again, the, the, the questions were, what do you want? What do you know how to do? Do people actually get paid to do it? Where do I find them? And who do I want to do it with? And so I wrestled with that question every day until, um, yeah, until I eventually I got where I'm at now. And there was a lot of other things that happened to get me where I'm at now. But both of you guys individually in chatting with you over the last couple of months know briefly about the story. But essentially, you know, I, I got to a spot where God basically put me flat on my face, just really let like asking God, because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And for the first time ever, and this doesn't need to get too crazy, but it was like almost audible. And it was, you're not done with ministry yet, number one, but you got to heal your heart before you go. And so, you know, for me in that moment, I was like, I threw my hands up and I'm like, all right, God, I'll do it. Like, no problem. I'll, I'll go have the hard conversations that I've been avoiding. That led to a lot of like really good, but also extremely hard conversations. But that also led me to me being able to go have breakfast with any of those people today and say, Hey, I like, it's all right, you know? And so that was God working through me. And so as we're talking about this podcast and just going like, how do you know when it's time to go? I literally just walked through it and I, those questions helped me figure some of those things out a little bit. So it was kind of cool. I'd be curious uh, from your standpoint, Stan, just hearing those questions now, what comes to mind for you in why you'd be asking those questions? Well, I think that there is uh, a lot to learn from Looking back at our lives, there's a lot of research done on how important the fourth grade is okay. in the American school system. And when you're 10, 11 years old, that's a time when somebody said, hey, Caleb, can you sing in the kids' choir? Can you do your your science project in front of the class, explain it to them? A teacher really believed in you. Fourth grade teachers are like, like gold rush. They're, they're, they're finding gold. And I think the further we get away from being like a child, the further we get and not paying attention to the things that we are really interested in. Mm -hmm. So I can remember when I was 12 years old, getting asked to sing in a little quartet for vacation Bible school for the closing, closing Sunday night services, you know, right. And um, I sang in that little quartet when I was 12, and that got me down this path. And I think that those questions for Caleb were very, very simple, but don't, don't forget why you love what you do. And I think it's important to look at our lives, the milestones, like Caleb, and for me and for you, Taz, like, 
where where are the times and who are the people that spoke into us all along the way that causes us to love what we love today? And um, at Slingshot, you know, our mantra is uh, we help people love their work. Mm. That and culture. Um, I'm the culture guy at, at Slingshot. And uh, so I think that people often will misunderstand calling for interests. Okay. Mm. And what I would tell Caleb or you or me or anybody that I might talk with today is that what are you keenly interested in? Because like a child, you know, I, we've, Connie, my wife and I, we have eight little grandkids. And the three, three-year-old three little boy, his name's Daxton. I thought they were going to name him after me. You know, like <laughs> my, my name is Stanton, actually. Okay. And I had just pictured Daxton Stanton Joyner. Wow. That's just got a ring to it. They named him <laughs> Daxton, Daxton Madden after John Madden's video game. <laughs> so thanks a lot. And, uh, but when he comes to our house, there's all kinds of toys that we throw out for him. And it's just interesting, even as three-year-old little boy, how he runs to the things he's interested in. Right, right. And um, a lot of people misunderstand passion for interests. Passion is a dangerous thing. Many people waste a lot of their life chasing something that they really don't have the acumen for, mm. or they only have an interest and they end up spending a lot of time and a lot of money. And those people typically topple over in their careers and get bored and frustrated because they've been chasing something that uh, they only have a little bit of interest in. Or, and so passion is a dangerous word. And the, the word passion, by the way, means pain. Okay. <laughs> people, people get pain or people get passion because they've experienced pain. People who are great athletes who, you know, run 20 miles a day or people that work out all the time or pastors that spend years learning how to teach God's word, the pain of learning something and, and they're, they're in being the passion of Christ the pain of Jesus on the cross. So passion is attached to pain. And just by being interested uh, doesn't get you where you want to go. Now, in Caleb's situation at that breakfast that morning, what I was trying to do, as I think back on it, Caleb, was to get you to think about things of essence and just the very basic things of, of why you do what you do and what you're interested in rather than to over-spiritualize it with you and rather than to try to convince you of anything. I do think, you know, if, if our topic centers around, is it time for me to stay or go? I think that churches are too quick to switch people rather than develop people. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk hopefully a little bit about tech people and their personalities and why they are, two years ago, they were like, you know, the guy's fixing the air conditioner, and now they're the most important person on staff. That's a fun thing to talk about. But anyway, that, that's my; those are my thoughts around that. Sure, yeah. Hearing you talk about that and what, are, what do you gravitate to as a fourth grader, I totally resonate with that. And I think a lot of people who are listening, you know, if, you, if you're on staff at a church doing production, chances are you've sort of followed in that 
vein of like the thing that you gravitate to now you're doing it. I, I mean, I certainly wasn't doing production stuff as a fourth grader because I mean, that was, uh, you know, a long time ago and there wasn't such a thing. But <laughs> I guess I would love to, you know, in the conversation of uh, should I stay or should I go, I would love to maybe just chat a little bit about, so, okay, let's let's pretend that you've answered the the five questions in a way that, you know, this is what I was made for. This is the thing that I feel like God has made me to do. It's I don't know that it still answers the question, you know, I'm like where I am is really difficult. And I think the knee-jerk reaction is, well, I, I see on social media that over here, they're doing really cool things and it looks amazing. I should just go do that mm -hmm. uh, because what I'm doing right now is harder than that. Yeah, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I think of, I have a lot of conversations with people who are in that season of life, like I lived last year. And as I struggled with, should I stay or should I go? And there's a sense of, I question that. And then many times it was, no, 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 I should not go. Like the problems that I have here are, at least I know about them. And, <laughs> and I don't know about the problems at another place. Right. And I'll tell you, church ministry is hard regardless. I, I, I transitioned off staff from a, one large multi-site church to another large multi-site church. And although they're, they're very different in many, many ways, they still have I still have problems like every day I've only, I've only been there for three months and I still run into issues that frustrate me and people that frustrate me. And so those things will never go away. Like the people and being frustrated with those kind of things, but it's how do I respond in those moments? And it's, you know, I don't, I don't always do it well, try to do it better than I have in the past. Right. Um, and so transitioning from one place to the next is not a bad thing. And it's not bad to also have issues at every place, you know? And so, no, the grass isn't always greener, but it was very clear for me that God was calling me and my wife, Cassie, to what was next in our season of ministry. And it was, for me, it was the only time that I had actually ever explored another ministry role full-time. I had been exploring other opportunities in every other area than full-time ministry. And for me, my wife and I were shocked when we kind of looked back and we said, oh, for the last six months, we had only been talking to people that were outside of that. They still maybe worked with churches or stuff like that, but they weren't, a, they weren't the local church. And so as soon as I started exploring that, it was very clear for me that God was calling me to continue to stay, even though I knew that ministry is like crazy hard sometimes. And stuff like that. So I would imagine for you, Stan, in your varied life that you've transitioned on and off lots of different things. Is there anything just as you look back on it, that uh, is a common denominator for you that like I, God showed up in this way and I, that's how I knew, or, or is every situation just completely different and unique? Yeah, Todd, I, as I run the movie back in my life and, and relook at it, First of all, people, I think, are too insistent or believe that, that they need to know more what their future is. Mm. There's a great book by Brennan Manning, a Catholic priest, called Ruthless Trust. And in that book, he tells a story of Mother Teresa that this priest went to Mother Teresa and asked this question. 
Mother Teresa, will you pray for me? And she said, for what? And he said, for my future ministry. And she said, no, (laughs) we're a people of faith. You don't need to know. And I think that to not know is to know Mm. about our future. Yeah. But now when I look back on it, I can tell you, you know, I moved to California in 1975 and I had just graduated from Lincoln Christian College about three hours south of where you're sitting, you guys. And I had a, I was a music composition major and I wanted to be a music producer. I didn't have a job. I, this church out here said, Hey, come and direct our choir and we'll pay you something, you know, but as a, as far as a career for producing music, I didn't have anything. I just moved out here and I was, after two weeks, I got invited to go to a recording session and Tommy Coombs was sitting next on the console and he he said, hey, why don't we let you do an, an arrangement of, on this one album, see how you do. Well, it, that was, I can look look back on those things. And um, the reason that I produced the music for the Promise Keepers in the day is because Malcolm Duplessy, who was executive producer of the whole thing, ran into me at a gas station in Mission Viejo. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I was pumping gas about three three lanes over. Hey, Stan. I go, hey, Malcolm, what's up? He goes, I was thinking about you today. Can you call me tomorrow? I want to talk to you about producing the, the Promise Keepers album. I've been thinking about contacting you. And I go, holy crap, this is... This. Can you say holy crap on this? Yeah, but, you can. Uh, well, you just did, so... Yeah, so, well, sorry. <laughs> yeah. But, but it was just amazing. So when I look back... I want to say something, though, about problems. Mm. We have the Slingshot Company, and we talk to churches every day, our team. And probably, I I would guess, a third of those conversations are not easy for people. Oftentimes, older guys who are older, like who are 50. Okay. Sometimes they'll call me, and, and, well, even worship leaders who are like 39 they're getting nervous because they go, oh, my gosh, my shelf life. If By the time I'm 43, I got I to gotta start selling insurance or something, you know. And I just laugh at that stuff because uh, people need to think more about their future. But here's what I tell our slingshot guys about problems. I was never in the military. My dad was. He flew Hellcats in World War II. And they got a lot of great pictures and stories from my That's dad. Cool. But if you're in the Marine Corps and you get shipped, you know, commissioned to go to Afghanistan, you get out of the helicopter and people start shooting at you, and he, you tell your commanding officer, sir, sir, they're shooting at us. And he goes, young man, this is the, this is the Marines. They're gonna, you're <laughs> going to get shot if you're in the Marine Corps. Right, right. Or you'll get shot at if you're in the Marine Corps. Same thing about church. Mm. So you might as well figure out how to deal with the problems. Right. Mm. And the other thing about staying in a place versus leaving a place, you always, with all of your might, want to go to something, not from something. Mm. And um, if you don't fix the things that you're frustrated with, the first question I always ask somebody if they, when I get in those conversations is, are you causing this problem or is somebody causing it for you? <laughs> and first of all, we got it. We can't take ourselves so seriously. There's only about 10 people who care what we do. You right. know, I mean, let's face it, you know, 
And so, first of all, relax. And if you decide to leave a place for the wrong reason and you you leave, it's going to be okay. It's not, you know, it's not, life is not over because you might leave a place too early. But I do think it's important if you don't fix a problem, you will, it will follow you for the rest of your life like a trailer behind a truck. You right, know? right, right. It'll follow you. There. So dealing with those things and, uh, I think one of the strongest muscles to, to get strong in in life is to be energized and inspired to withstand problems and to get on the other side of them. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. I uh, One of my favorite verses in the Bible, now I'm going to embarrass myself because my favorite verse, I'm not even sure where it is. I think it's in the book of Job. Um, and it's as sparks, as the sparks fly upward man is born to trouble. I just like, yeah, the sparks go up. That's you know, where mm. trouble is ahead for all of us. That's just oh, the way absolutely. life is. And I think, yeah, it's so easy to want to blame somebody else for troubles, but there is a component that we all play and to really, as you were saying, Stan, to really dig into what is my part in this and am I causing this or, or even how can I make it better instead of just automatically... Yeah. Uh, leaving. And I know for you, Caleb, knowing you for all these years that, you know, this was not something that you just lightly walked away from, but yeah, you, you were working hard to solve the problems. Yeah. I grew up in a Baptist church, like old school Baptist church. It was, we had, you know, contempt, we had a contemporary service and that was as, that was as good as it got, but it was fun and it was, it was great. And I love that church. And we used to do these big revival nights in the summertime, and my dad's a youth pastor there. And we lived in a parsonage, basically in the parking lot of the church. <laughs> and during the summertime when they would do these revival nights, I mean, it was just, there was kids everywhere. You just run around. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Every night for three hours, me and all, my, all the kids in the church are just basically going bananas. And I remember coming home one night from one of those one of those revival nights, and my parents were super upset. And I re- I was old enough; I'm the oldest of all my siblings. And I remember asking my dad, like, "What's wrong?" And he said, "Caleb, when I was at another church in Tremont, Illinois, 13 years ago, me and this elder had a very bad relationship. We were we were button heads all the time, and I hated that guy. And tonight." I called that guy to apologize 13 years later for having a grudge against him. And he, he looked me in the eye and he said, never leave a place without fixing and healing those problems before you go, because it's a lot harder to do it 13 years later. And I remember that conversation on September 1st of 2020, when I heard the Lord say, heal your heart before you go. And I said, and I thought of that conversation and I told the executive pastor at the chapel that story. And I said, this is why I'm going to tell you right now, here's, this is what's been on my heart. And this is what's been really hard for me here in this place. And, uh, it sounds a lot easier than it actually was, but Hmm. healing your heart in those seasons and doing that is like, so, 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 so important because it's just like Stan said, you're, you're running to something and not away from something. And I remember maybe a month after that happened, Stan, you called me and just to check in, just to see how I was doing. And I told you the story, brief parts of it. 
and you said you should read Exodus 14, 14. And that verse has been on my everyday read uh, since then. And I've told a lot of people that since then. And, and this is what it says. It says, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. <laughs> and for me in that moment, and as I was sitting there going bananas, I'm a six on the Enneagram. I'm super anxious all the time. I have fear is what I do best. And that verse kind of got me through that. I mean, I think some of the unknown of uh, what's next is, you know, that's part of what God is calling us to, to live a life of faith, you know. Absolutely. At the end of my time at Willow, I just remember Louis Giglio talked about, uh, you know, that God is revealing himself one step ahead of where we are right now versus, you know, the end of the journey. Uh, he was using climbing a mountain as the analogy, like I could see the mountain I don't know how to climb the mountain, but I know how to take the step that's right in front of me. And that was so important for me to just realize that I, you know, life isn't designed for me to know, you know, a hundred steps from now. It's to be obedient in the step that's right in front of me. Getting really good at problem solving is, is a very important thing to learn. If problems bother somebody, it absolutely stymies their forward thinking. And it's important. It's so important to think into the future. Now, I believe that in the American culture for American males, I've done a lot of reading about this, that when a person is 52 years old, when a male is 52 years old in American uh, culture, that they spend more time thinking about the past than the future. Hmm. And so that can, and when I talk to a 23 year old about that, you know, how much time are you spending thinking about your future? You've got these issues that you're dealing with. So one of the exercises that I use along that way, and I, I probably didn't use this with you, Caleb, but at the, at the breakfast that day. But if you're facing a problem, you go, you, you make two lists, two columns on the paper. The, the, the column on the left is, now, what are you facing? You, what are you feeling about? I am frustrated, blah, 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 blah. And you give me 10 words that are difficult for you that you're feeling. On the other column, put it under the top is then, when you get past this. What do you want to feel like when you get beyond this problem? And you give me 10 words, and then I have people to write a sentence about each of those words. Mm -hmm. And what happens is unless you really process difficult emotions, you will wallow in ambiguity on and on and on and on. So to focus on those things are really, really important. Here's a question that I, that I give to people to ask their pastor, whether they're a youth pastor, a tech arts pastor, communications, worship, whatever to ask the, the pastor or your supervisor is this question. What do you wish were happening in my area of ministry that is not happening? Mm. That's so good. And um, to ask questions like that to your supervisor, it's not that you're trying to be coy or to placate or to try to gain their, their likability of you, but it really is a humbling thing to for you to say, and they, they deserve that question is like, maybe there's something that I'm not seeing. Maybe there's something that I'm not 
understanding here. And am I, and, and so asking those questions, and by the way, those questions are great hallway questions. That's not a question that you make an appointment with your supervisor to say, I've been thinking about this, and I'd like to ask you. No, it's like getting out of your car, you see them cross the parking lots. Hey, pastor, I got a question for you. What do you wish were happening that's not happening? Right. And, that's such uh, a great question. So I, I think that's very important. So the other thing I want I want to say in case we, we don't get there just real quickly about tech arts ministry right now. Mm. I would tell pastors, now is the time for you to build into tech people the way you've built into your other staff people. Mm. Because tech arts people typically are introverts and they they like sitting in front of a console for 12 hours. But to pay attention to building into technological left brain people right now might be the best use of your time other than preparing for your weekend for, for your your sermons. It's so important. Yeah, I mean it's it's that's such a great point. The thing that is interesting to me, and this I don't I don't know there's an answer to this, but just when I hear you say that, I think the challenge for the senior pastor is that the tech arts person is like weird to them. Uh, maybe that's the wrong word. Like they just don't understand, you know, how to build into those people. I, I've done research with three three organizations that on hospitality, uh-huh. Chick-fil-A, Buckingham Palace oh, in London. Okay. <laughs> and Southwest Airlines. All right. And all three of them say this. We're not, the most important thing to us is not the service that we provide for people. Like customer service, mm-hmm. the most important thing to us is the feeling that people have when they come in. Okay. And so for a pastor to be aware, and the, the biblical definition of hospitality is lover of strangers. Okay. So treat people that are uh, fighting and striving to get outside of themselves personality-wise that struggle for them. You have to meet them where they are. Right. And yeah, pastors, well, I don't have time to do that. That's the rest. Okay. I'm just telling you, if you want that ministry to grow, you got to spend time at least acknowledging those people and to spend some time developing them. It's the feeling that they have when you walk by them. Yeah. And I think, I think that as tech people, us asking that question to our pastors and to our leaders what do you wish was happening in my area of ministry, I think helps bridge that gap. Because what I don't want people to listen to this podcast and think is, yeah, my leadership should be doing that, but he's never going to do that. My senior pastor doesn't get me, you know, and we self-loathe in our own problems. Mm -hmm. And I think like us asking those questions helps senior leadership bridge that gap and say, oh, he does want to talk to me. He's not just a guy that only wears black and drinks a bucket of coffee every day and, you know, sits in, sits in their office or, or sits behind the console. And so I think it's important for us to feel like we are the ones that help bridge that. And it's not always up to our leaders to make the first interaction with them. You know, uh, although that we, that's what we do, Stan, you and I, and Todd, that's what we do with churches all the time. And we help encourage them for them to take that next step. But there's a lot of people that might be listening that 
they may be the, the the people to make that first step instead, you know, so. Yeah, I think the, the to ask that question, you're really, you're signaling to your pastor that you're in their corner, that you're a team player, that you're not just thinking about the new gear you want to buy and uh, staying behind the console all the time. The other thing I would maybe beyond that one question is to even just a statement to your pastor to say, hey, I'm praying for you or great job on the message today or something that I don't think the pastor hears that often enough from us. And I think, you know, they need it as much as anybody. That's great. Yeah. You know, part of uh, us, us talking about this and talking about, is it, is it time to stay or is it time to go? And one of the reasons why we have this awesome partnership with you, Stan and Slingshot Group is because we feel like when it is time for you to go and you've asked yourself those questions and you feel like it's, it's the season and I'm, and I'm ready to do that for whatever reason, that's where we can kind of help you who's listening as candidates that are looking to say, Hey, what, what is that? And me and Stan and a lot of other people and Todd would be more than happy to just help walk you through that um, and just say, what does that look like? And then the same, the same thing for, for your church. And you're, and you're saying we want somebody who's asking some of those questions and have at, and have answered them to be able to come and join our team. That's our goal is to help provide churches with people that ask those questions that are pushing themselves to be better as technical artists to make their churches more effective. Yeah. And I would just maybe add to that. Even if you reach out to us, uh, you know, maybe it's just having that conversation, somebody to listen to your situation and, you know, it's maybe it's not time for you to leave and maybe it is. And, you know, we can help with that also, you know, just find a church that may be right for you. Um, But I think just to realize you're not alone and that we all kind of wrestle with how tough life can be. And I, I, you know, I don't think it's unique necessarily to tech people. I'm sure Stan, you're rubbing shoulders, all kinds of people that are, you know, life is tough and people wish it were easier, but it helps to have somebody to listen to. And hopefully we can, we can help you on your journey. But any final thoughts, Stan, for us? Whether to stay or leave, if somebody contacts me today and says, I'm thinking about leaving, where I try to lead their thinking is let's list all the reasons why and have you exhausted every last effort, okay? Mm -hmm. If you have, that's okay, you know? However, let's list these things, these nine things that are killing you and that are causing you to want to go to some something else and then uh, write about each of those write a paragraph about each of those difficult things pray that the holy spirit will enlighten you and then wait 48 hours and read it again and then call me hmm. And so often people make decisions in the middle of turmoil and they need to step back from it. You know, one of the great things that happened with COVID is all bets are off. Like yeah. job descriptions, 
Next, out the window. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm not a big fan of job descriptions anyway when people are hired. I think you, I think it's great to do a job description after you've been there six months, okay? Right, right. Because mm-hmm. you, whatever job description you sign up for in six months, it's going to change anyway. And uh, But for the last 14 months or the last year with through COVID, everybody's having to relearn things. Right. And I actually am very energized about that. Even at Slingshot, we, we've had to figure stuff out. But I would say take the pressure off of your, off yourself. Uh, talk to somebody, you know, write it out, think and pray about it. If you decide you want to leave, count the cost of the relationships that you're going to maybe, uh, that may not end well. Mm-hmm. That's what to pay attention to. The other thing I would say the idea of somebody staying in a place for 15, 20 years is a, is a myth right. anymore because culture is people are moving. People are moving around. You're, you're on you know, websites or podcasts every day, learning and hearing about other people doing it. Be cautious to not compare yourself mm-hmm. to what other people are doing at other places who are doing it in your line of work. Just be cautious about that. Yeah. But the, here's, here's the other thing I know. That in my life, the times that I've over that I've made it through difficult times are the best stories that I have. Mm. You know, nobody wants to go to a movie that it starts out everybody's great, and in the middle of the movie, everybody's great, and at the <laughs> end of the movie, everybody's great. How boring is that? Yeah. And so life is filled, you know, uh, and Psalm 34, God dwells with the brokenhearted. And it's great to have a broken heart. Mm-hmm. So, the the problems you're solving that you're running into are wonderful opportunities to learn something and to get emotional traction and confidence. That's all I got. Yeah, that's. I think that's enough. Yeah, we'll just reduce the whole podcast down to the last couple of things you just said. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I love what you guys are doing. Uh, you have really elevated. It's, it's interesting, Todd. I hadn't thought of this until right now. But five years, when did you start Philo? Yeah, six years ago. So four years ago, you were championing this tech world. Mm-hmm. And now it is one of the most important roles in any church in America. Mm. And you've been championing it all along. I, I don't know what God's doing in all of that with you. But man, you were a prophet and you didn't even mm. know it. Man. So, so it's great that you've it's elevated so cool. the, these roles for years. And now everybody's looking at Todd saying, you knew this was coming, didn't you? Of course you didn't. <laughs> but way to go, Todd. Oh, it's thank great. you. Yeah. So maybe in closing, I just, maybe I was I'm thinking of two things that are super petty on my standpoint, but when you guys had breakfast together, that was like, right. I could have thrown a stone at that breakfast place. So you got to call me next time because sure. right, right there. I'm right there. Um, my grandson, my grandson plays hockey at that hockey rink. Oh, right. Right there. Right there. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. You next time you're watching hockey, I'll come watch with you. Oh, that'd be awesome. All right. I'll call you. Um, and then the other thing is, um, yeah, sometime we'll have to have a whole episode uh, of the podcast about Dunkin' Donuts coffee. So, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Stan and I. That's our. That's our. Uh, we send pictures of each other holding coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. So uh, it's the best. Yeah, it's so good. 
Hey, uh, thank you guys for making time, Caleb. Great to hang out with you as always. And Stan, yeah. I mean, I, I would just sit at your feet most of the day if I could. So. Oh, gee whiz. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you guys today. Thanks, Todd. Yep. Thanks. This is always such an interesting topic to talk about. You know, life as a technical artist is difficult already without the waters getting muddied by wondering, you know, should I pack it up or move on, stay where I am? And in my own story, I've desperately wanted to leave someplace and then felt like God told me to stay. And other times when I didn't want to leave someplace and felt like God was telling me it was time for something new. And the tough part about following God's call on our lives is that it's really a series of small steps, not one giant step. And in my own life, the challenge about staying or going was about whether or not I was willing to trust God for each small step. And there was a point in my life where I felt like I couldn't take one more minute of where I was. And it drove me to pray and to journal a ton, which was a good thing. And I'm not sure how I got into the habit, but at the end of my prayer time each day, I would write out the question, what's next? And then I would put down my pen and just listen, or just sit there. And what would happen was something would pop into my head and I would write down the first thing that came into my head. And most often it was something really small, like send an encouraging note to this person or apologize to your coworker for something you said yesterday or start a prayer group to pray for your church. And the reality was that none of the answers to what's next was earth shattering or even what I was looking for. While some of the answers were simple and easy, more often they were things I didn't want to do. I mean, start a prayer group, are you kidding me? I mean, that was my thought. I wrote it down, but I'm like, there's no way I'm doing this. And then, yeah, later that same day, felt convicted to talk to some people about starting a prayer group. During that whole process, I realized that if I was not willing to trust God in these small areas, why would God trust me with something bigger? You know, if I wasn't willing to take a small step, why would he show me the big step? And if you find yourself in a place of wondering if it's time to stay or to go, I would encourage you to begin seeking God to answer the daily questions instead of the giant life-changing questions that maybe you're looking for. If you're looking for a community of technical artists to connect with on a regular basis, we have a new Philo cohort starting on April 8th, and it's led by one of our own alumni, Alex Sawyer, and he'll be leading this group on Thursday mornings. Alex is the production director at Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, and he's such a great guy. He has a heart for technical artists, and he loves all the ins and outs of production, and he's always constantly trying to figure out new and better ways of doing stuff. The Philo cohorts have been a great place to bounce off ideas off of each other in the group, but more importantly, it's been a safe place for technical artists like you to connect and talk about stuff that matters, stuff like even the topic of today's podcast, if necessary. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, I would encourage you to go to philo.org slash coaching and sign up for the next one starting again on April 8th. And you know what? If you're still on the fence about attending the Philo Conference on May 11th and 12th, we've got a special code to give you 10% off either the streaming or the in-person ticket price. You can go to philo.org, and when you register, use the code PODCAST10, all caps, PODCAST, the number 10, and you'll receive a 10% discount. You know what? I really can't wait to be together, however you decide to come, online or in person. 
And you know what? We'd love to have you subscribe to our podcast, wherever you typically get your podcast from. And if you wouldn't mind, we'd love for you to help us spread the word and tell people in your network about us. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, our goal is to help technical artists become more effective so their church can become more effective. And so we'd love to have as many people subscribe to our podcast as possible in an effort to try to help make the local church production thing better in as many places as possible. You can follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Philo Community. And on Twitter, it's at Philo Conference. You can send us an email with feedback or future podcast ideas or some encouragement that like this is the greatest thing you've ever heard. You can go to philopodcast at philo.org to send us that email. And then just thanks for listening. Hopefully this was a helpful conversation and we'll see you next time. 